I mean, you just look at some of the statistics that a goldfish has a eight-second attention span and humans have a seven-second attention span. So a goldfish has a better attention span than the human. But actually, when you look back before the advent of social media, our attention span was at 12 seconds. So you can see it numerically. It's measurable that it's a lot harder to focus in today's hyper-connected world. It's one small step for man. Liftoff. We, have a liftoff. we choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome back to the Super You Podcast. It's the podcast designed to unlock and unleash your inner superpower. I'm Jake with Equal Man Studios. Here's this week's quote. It's your story. Feel free to hit him with a plot twist at any moment. Today we're sharing an interview between Equal Man and Alan Cardoza from the Answers Network podcast. The Answers Network is a nationally recognized radio program featuring interviews with best-selling authors and other well-known experts in the fields of psychology, education, humanities, health, and a range of general issues affecting youth and their families. In this episode, Eric offers practical advice on doing the important things instead of the busy things. According to Equalman, success and happy people understand it's not about getting more things done, it's about getting more of the big things done. And a fun fact about the host, Alan Cardoza is a licensed private investigator. With 30 years of experience working with families dealing with at-risk youth, Having escorted thousands of teens to specialized schools and programs, returned hundreds of runaways and retrieved many abducted children, Alan has a unique outlook on what our kids are going through and what can be done to help them thrive. So thank you again for joining us today on the Super You Podcast. Enjoy this conversation between Eric Qualman and Alan Cardoza. Thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of Answers Network. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza. And if you're just listening to this show for the first time, please know that we are on the air for you. And we do so by bringing on special guests that can inspire, educate, and in some cases, entertain. Now, our goal for each show is to bring answers and options to making your lives happier, healthier, and more successful. And remember, if you can't listen live, go to our website at answers.network and browse through a variety of heartfelt and enlightening topics. I'm confident that there is something you will find to bring greater joy to your life. Now, I also have a favor to ask. Please forward at least one of our shows to your social media group and to someone you know who can benefit from a particular subject. And I guarantee you, this subject is one we can all benefit from because this is just one powerful way that we can make a positive influence in the world together. Now, our topic today is also the title of our guest's new book, The Focus Project, The Not-So-Simple Art of Doing Less. I like it already. So whether you're an executive, a mom, a CEO, a teacher, or an entrepreneur, our guest's new book is designed to provide answers and solutions to the challenge of focusing 
in what is now a pretty unfocused world. So Eric Qualman is a number one best-selling author and noted keynote speaker. In fact, he was voted the world's second most likable author behind Harry Potter's J.K. Rowling. So he says that he's still trying to live up to the title of world's best dad that his daughter scrawled on a coffee mug. So, and I'm proud to say that my son gave me, my sons both gave me a similar mug that I too continue to try to live up to. Now called the Digital Dale Carnegie and the Tony Robbins of tech, Eric has put on performances in over 55 countries and has reached over 40 million people with his books and content. His work has been featured from 60 Minutes to the Wall Street Journal, and it's been used by the National Guard, NBC, NASA, and Nordstrom, to name just a few. Those were the only ones I found that started with an N. So uh, Eric is a former sitting professor at Harvard and MIT, and his groundbreaking books, uh, he has received an honorary doctorate degree. Eric, welcome to Answers Network. No, it's a, such an honor to be here, Alan, and it's great to join your listeners. All right. Well, uh, as we were speaking about a little bit before the show started, I think we're in a time that uh, this is even more necessary uh, than maybe 10 years ago. Uh, you know, the world has sped up. Um, you know, I thought that we were going at a speed that uh, that I needed to slow down for and spend more time with family and things. Uh, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, and it seems like it's only got worse. Is that just me, or do you feel that same thing? I mean, you just look at some of the statistics that a goldfish has a eight-second attention span, and humans have a seven-second attention span. So a goldfish has a better attention span than the human. But actually, when you look back, before the advent of social media, our attention span was at 12 seconds. So you can see it numerically, it's measurable that it's a lot harder to focus in today's hyper-connected world, whether that's social, whether that's working virtually, there's just a lot of shift that's happened. And obviously the pandemic, it was happening before, but then the pandemic threw gasoline on the fire and pulled us mm -hmm. forward seven to 10 years. So that's a big shock to the system. And it's really about getting back to our roots and figuring out how do I focus on big things versus busy ones. You know, that's a great statistic that I didn't know. And I know that I think with my kids, we watched the, the Finding Nemo or something like that. And, and and I think that that fish had an attention span of three seconds. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we thought it was hilarious. Little did we know how close we are as humans to that same thing. God. Um, so in one of my other things that I thought about as I was reading your book, uh, it hit me with, where were you 40 years ago when I started my own business? But just based on looking at you, I'm sure that you weren't old enough yet to be writing books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I grew up in Detroit, so no book was out yet. But uh, I did start, and it's hard to, as Steve Jobs says, at the convention speed at, at Stanford. And if your listeners haven't checked it out, definitely go go check it out, because it's not like a great speech, but it teaches the power of threes. He tells three stories, which we might unpack in a while here, but mm -hmm. you only connect the dots looking back. And so looking back, people are like, have you always been an entrepreneur? Have you always wanted to write? Have you always wanted to do your thing? And at first the answer was, uh, no, I kind of got into it after I worked in corporate America. But once you look back, you go, oh yeah, I was. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was selling 
you know, marigold seeds door to door. So just a, a Dixie cup of marigold seeds, 50 cents door to door. Here's some seeds. Uh, and then eventually wound up actually writing. I was a huge basketball fan. And so started a magazine at the time because it's tough to get news on college basketball. It exists on the Internet, obviously, everywhere today. But back then, mm-hmm. it was really hard to get news on, say, the East Coast or the West Coast teams if you're in Detroit. So I started Swish Magazine, even sold some advertisement for mm-hmm. that magazine. Uh, so you can connect the dots uh, looking back. But that's where I was 40 years ago. <laughs> um, so. Uh, one of the things that, that you touch on in the book that I think that we can all feel is is you talk about how we've just all gotten stretched, you know, too thin. Um, you know, share how you feel we've got to this point um, and what we can do about it. So the book, The Focus Project, which you mentioned, thank you, it, it was a project. Because I was sitting here, for those that, listeners that don't know me, I primarily I've written six books, but I started off in the tech side of business. So for 20 years, two decades, I was on the tech side of things. I was at Yahoo back when they were kind of the Facebook of the day. I was ahead of marketing at TravelZoo, took that company from private to public, our team did. And so I was always on the tech side of business. And then I wrote a book called Social Nomics. That's my first book. And so then I fell into this world of public speaking. So go around the world helping to entertain, educate, and empower people to their best life. But it started off from a, a tech standpoint and then eventually evolved into more motivational, more life pieces. Um, and so I owned my own company for 12 years. And each night I'd get home and my hair was completely on fire. And I'd sit there and pause. I go, this isn't sustainable. I'm not enjoying this. What have I created that I'm running like a hamster on a wheel and it feels like I'm not getting anywhere, that I'm running a million miles an hour and then tomorrow I'm going to run harder. And then my mindset is run harder and that'll solve it. And it wasn't solving. In fact, it was making it worse. So I'd pause, hit the pause button and just started to dream. I was like, man, there's so much I have to do for all these different businesses. But what would life look like if this month I just focused on sales? If I just Mm -hmm. focused on the selling part of business, man, that'd be so liberating. What would that do for the business? And then I started to think about my personal life. What would a month look like if I got to spend the whole month just organizing the house? Just not only organize it, but the stuff that needed to be fixed, the honey to-do list, the 20 things that I had to do to call those contractors. And so I started to get really excited about, man, that would look great. And then I started to think, well, I can do it. I mean, Mm-hmm. I own the company. I don't have my own, my own boss. And then I started to reflect, wait, if I'm having problems with this, where I'm somewhat, quote unquote, control my own time, everyone must be restless. So I started to talk to school teachers and principals and students and CEOs, and they all have the same issue, that they're running a million miles an hour. The hair is on fire. Rinse, wash, repeat each day. So that's why I took, I was planning to take a year. I wound up taking two years because it was so hard that I wanted to test, this wasn't a new concept, right? The new thing Mm -hmm. was it was just a little more challenging in a hyper-connected world. But as you look back, history rhymes. And so it doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so when you looked at it, even back in the Greeks, they were struggling with focus. So I started in the Stoics, and I started to really unpack everything that's been out there, both from a research perspective, so I call that you know Mm -hmm. the institutional science, And I wanted to marry that with the street science, me actually being that proverbial guinea pig. And so the first year I had five false starts because I go, okay, if I'm going to have the luxury, the luxury of doing Mm -hmm. this, 
I've got to make sure that we get enough sales for us as me speaking on stage. So that there's a lot of stuff we do, but that's really the catalyst for most things. So I said, all right, if I have the luxury to do this project for a year, I've got to focus. The first one has to be on sales. So that first month, and I go, look, let's be realistic. Let's just carve out three, 30 minutes a day to focus on sales, 30 minutes a day. So that'd be a good start. And I failed five times. Like the first time I did it, I spent 18 minutes, not per day, 18 minutes for the month on sales. And so it was really hard. That's why I learned. But then after five false starts, then the following year, I was able to do it and take on one thing per month. But most importantly for your listeners out there, it's really about that progress over perfection. But by just focusing, that's 30 minutes a day on sales. We had a record sales month. And then also it set the record sales for the year actually within that month. We already achieved it for the year. So that's how powerful this stuff is. But even to this day, the gravitational pull, and I've written the book, and so I'm not perfect at this by any means. I've just gotten better. The gravitational pull is still pulling me to do the busy. So I I fall in that trap this week, this day. It happens all the time. So it's really about being intentional. Well, let's talk about that point where you say do the busy. Um, I think it's one of my biggest problems. It's probably one that a lot of people have to to, uh, struggle with. how do we get ourselves out of that? And especially when we have so many people pulling, uh, and again, someone like yourself, the age of your kids are such that it's very easy to get pulled into a different direction. Uh, and then we find ourselves, you know, dropping what was maybe a, you know, a number one or, or an A thing. And, and we, we go off and we start doing something else. And then before you know it, we've lost track of where we were. Um, share a little bit how we can reverse that particular issue? So there's a couple of ways to reverse it, but the most important is intent. So a lot of us, me included, wake up days, and this is before the project, even to this day, I sometimes slip. So know that it's about progress, not perfection. You'll hear me repeat that a lot today, but it's about progress, not that perfection. But it's about intent. So a lot of times we wake up and we don't even know what our intent is. We just kind of woke up. We don't even thank a higher power. For me, it's God that Hey, thank you for letting me wake up. Thanks for protecting me while I sleep. It's let's rock and roll here. It, is you just kind of get up and go, oh, like what am I supposed to do? And you start reacting to things, whether that's kids' needs, whether that's email coming in. And so the key is intent. So how do we do that? So what's worked best for me, and again, I go over a bunch of stuff in the book because everyone's different, but what I found that works the best for me is the night before I actually write down what's the one thing that if I do it well, makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. So again, what's the one thing that if I do it well, makes life either easier, everything else either easier, or sometimes I don't even have to do it. So by writing that down, it helps me sleep better because it tricks your brain into thinking I've taken care of that. So now that thing's not bouncing around in your head, that thing that you know you need to do. You're like, I've taken care of it. We'll pick it up tomorrow morning. Then when you wake up in the morning, before the day attacks you, you want to attack that item. And Mm -hmm. so that's really helpful if you can do that. Write that down and then attack that item. Set aside time so that at least you address it. Uh, I like to set aside 30 minutes. So 30 minutes, hopefully I can complete that task. A lot of times you can if it's a bigger project, but you're completing the smaller task if you break it down. We can talk more about how breaking things down so it's not overwhelming. But -hmm. it's really about attacking that one thing before the day attacks you. 
You know, I was I was talking about this at the gym. I, you know, oftentimes when I'm at the gym, people come up to me and go, "Hey, who, you know, who's your guest next week?" And so I'll talk about it. And I mentioned something, and and from a a father uh, that looks like he's probably about 35 years old, he said, he said, you know, he goes, "I'm in a state of emotional and physical exhaustion." He said, "You know, I I come here in the morning." Uh, you know, to try to, you know, build up enough energy uh, to be able to make it through the day. But by the end of the day, I am so exhausted that I don't feel like I'm really giving my family what they need or what they deserve. Um, what would you tell that person? Uh, a couple things. First of all, he's right, because we are like an iPhone. So that throughout the day, you're going to get drained. And mm-hmm. that includes your body, your physical self, but also your mental self. And so it's called the decision fatigue. So the more decisions you're making, you're making decisions throughout the day, by the end of the day, you're just exhausted. So that's Mm -hmm. another reason why you want to attack that one thing first, before you do kind of stuff that you can do when you're tired, like answer email. You can answer email when you're tired. A lot of the stuff that you need to attack first is more strategic in nature, or it's going to take a little more brain power. So you want to do it before you have that, that brain drain. So that's key. Also, when he talks about his family, is we call it cowboy scheduling. So with mm-hmm. cowboy scheduling, if you remember the song Wide Open Spaces by the Chicks, is <laughs> that it's about fencing off. So you want to fence off time for specific things and then also leave wide open spaces. So fencing off time okay. for specific things, it might, and you should fence off time for yourself. Again, fence off in the morning that half hour to attack that mm-hmm. one thing. And then you should also fence off time for your family. So in this virtual connected world, those lines have been blurred to where it's very easy to continue to work at night. And so that you're at the dinner table, you're answering a work email or you're you're down with a board game with your kids, but you got your laptop out and you're still kind of working. So you're doing a disservice to yourself. You're doing a disservice to your company. You're doing a disservice to your family because you're not focused on anything in the moment. You're trying to do everything. So those would be the two main tips that I'd give someone like that. And I've suffered through it and still have to, that gravitational pull does pull towards me. So do that cowboy scheduling fence off those times for specific things. And then also understand that you got to attack that thing in the morning because there is brain drain. Think about your body and your mind like an iPhone. Mm-hmm. By the end of the day, it has lost its charge. You know, you just touched on something that I hadn't really thought of when you use the term decision fatigue. And uh, myself being uh, a, a single parent uh, for, for much of their life, um, you know, I found that I got to a point to where, you know, I, I would go into work, but I've, I've made so many different decisions. I'm just tired of making decisions. And I find that in, in many people, especially single parents, uh, that when they can then get with somebody uh, in a relationship that's going to share some of those decisions it seems like this great weight is lifted off your shoulders. Um, share a little bit about that in, in how maybe either by hiring the right person in the business or getting your relationship life straightened out to a point in which you are sharing these things and how much better that can be. So decision fatigue, some ways you can combat it is figuring out where you can limit your decisions. And so mm-hmm. you can see this with a uh, Steve Jobs or a Mark Zuckerberg. They wear Steve Jobs wore a black T-shirt and Zuckerberg wore a gray T-shirt because they didn't want to make that decision. 
that's a decision that they want to waste their mind on. So they want to mm-hmm. save it for a more difficult decision. And so it could be your wardrobe. I tested. I still do it today. Primarily, I've got green glasses. I've got a great T-shirt. That's it. It's very literally in my closet. It's like the Seinfeld episode. There's just all these great T-shirts. So I don't really have to worry about and think about what I'm going to wear. Now, again, some of you people are like, that's crazy. I love figuring out what I'm going to wear. So do you, you know, that's what we talk about in the book is I'm going to give you a bunch of ideas. Hopefully you get one idea that's going to change your life. That's it. Or for breakfast. So I used to make scrambled egg whites. And then Mm -hmm. again, I wasn't focused. This is before the project. All of a sudden I could hear, I look, I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot I was cooking the egg whites. Well, it formed in the pan a frittata. So it made it one circular piece, right? So I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I go, wait, like, I don't want to throw this out. Let me flip this over and just try it. Well, I liked it better. And it was much easier to clean the pan. It was much easier to cook. So then I take it to the next level. When I take on the project, I go, great. I'm just going to eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. So what I eat for breakfast is that egg white frittata. I've got some lean, no salt turkey meat. And then I have some arugula, avocado, and tomatoes. And so in a black coffee, that's it. So then every morning, I don't have to think about that. It's just rote. And when I get those supplies, it's the same thing. It's just every week. Now, a lot of you out there, that's crazy. I'd get bored eating the same thing. For me, it works. And so again, I'll have to make that decision. It's just right there, boom, we're making it happen. And I kick the day off. I've got a healthy, at least one healthy meal before I get tired later and, and want to have those dark chocolate covered pretzels or whatever we're having. Um, and before we get to one of the uh, listener questions that's coming in, uh, you mentioned the green glasses. Is there a story behind the fact that they're lime green? Yeah, for those just listening, these are really bright alien green, Seattle Seahawk green glasses. And okay. so my name's Eric Qualman. So if you take your first initial last name, whenever I'd handed an email address, it was Equal Man. And to be honest, I did not like it. Uh, Borderline hated it for the first 15 years of my career. Uh, Growing up in Detroit, working at Cadillac, uh, just going into meetings, you're an intern. Oh, we need some coffee. Well, Equal Man, you got a superhero name. You must be super fast. Why don't you go get the coffee? And so good-natured ribbing, but my friends would be like, Equal Man, I just didn't like it. So for 15 years, I thought this was happening to me. And then in a moment in time, I realized, wait, this isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. So my second book, which is Digital Leader, was doing, doing well. And so a magazine wanted to sit down and interview me. And for that magazine, they wanted to take a photo for the cover. And they said, hey, you've got a fun moniker with your equalman.com and your email address is equalman. Do you mind if we put some Clark Kent Superman glasses on you? Oh like, yeah, we can do that. That sounds fun. And they go, what's our St. Patty's Day issue? We thought it would make sense if they were, they were green. green. I go, sure. I went to Michigan State. Green's a great color. Let's do it. And they bring them out. I'm like, whoa, those are really bright. And we do that photo shoot. I don't think much of it. A couple of weeks later, I fly to Kenya to give a speech or, or a keynote. And the first time in Kenya. So I really want to know what Kenya's all about. So the night before, I go to a rescue shelter. And I'm going to adopt a baby cheetah. Uh, not to take home, just to support the local local shelter. My wife would kill me if I brought a cheetah home. But it, it, and, uh, <laughs> the lady that I'm with, we're driving over, and she goes, um, Usain Bolt, the Olympic sprinter, was here two days ago, and he adopted from the same litter that you're going to adopt from. We filmed him. We'd like to film you and kind of marry that footage together to raise more money for the shelter. Do you mind? 
I go, no, that's a great idea. Whatever it takes, you know, I'm here to help. And she pauses and looks at me and goes, but obviously when we're filming, we want to make sure you're wearing your iconic green glasses. And I'm looking at her. I go, oh, I don't wear those green glasses around all the time. I'd look kind of foolish if I was doing that. And the look of disappointment on her face, I never wanted to see that again. She goes, no, that's what everyone in Kenya is expecting tomorrow. Uh, But there's a moment in time where I'm like, hey, this isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. Let's step into being equal, man. Let's own it. And if it helps one person out around the world, just one, then it's worth any discomfort that I walk in. And so now it's part of what we talk about on stage. It's about stepping into that discomfort. It's also if a kid asks me, hey, why do you wear those glasses? I'm like, it reminds you to be different. It's okay to be different. And it's okay if you see someone in green glasses not to judge them, that there must be something off with that person just because they're a little different than other folks out there. So it wasn't intentional, but now we have intent to make sure that we get that message out there. And crazy enough, conferences started asking for the green glasses. And at first we go, yeah, here you can order them here. And they go, no, 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 we want them customized. We want you to make it easy on us. And so now we're in the world of our, we are in the business of making green glasses. We're closing in on a hundred thousand that have been distributed. So all this stuff is a long story to say my cheetah is much faster than Usain Bolt's cheetah for sure. And then also too, is that you never know what's going to happen. So when that opportunity knocks, kind of step into it and just, you never know what's going to go that journey. Yeah. And as you were saying that the, the, Um, line or something that popped into my head when you mentioned talking to young people is um, find your own superhero. In other words, you know, you know, this has become mine, but we all have one in us. So yeah, I think that's a great, a great motivation thing for kids. Um, Okay. I've got just a couple minutes. I love that. It's so that's what we talk about on our podcast is it's a, it's a, you're all superheroes. You just need that courage to wear the cape. Exactly. Um, so this this message comes from uh, Gerald in Illinois, and it reads, I've tried dozens of approaches to streamlining my life and business, but I still wake up every morning feeling this enormous anxiety over all the massive items on my to-do list. Uh, between family and my efforts to keep my business alive in this crazy economy, I just can't seem to crawl out of the overwhelm in my life. My question is... Uh, when the list keeps growing, how does a person survive uh, and keep it together? Yeah, this isn't easy, and it's uh, something that gravitational pull will always bring you back. So a couple things. One, try to make a not-to-do list tomorrow. Mm. And how okay. do you do that? Well, you've got a long to-do list. Literally write the word not on the top of it. And then I want you to uh-huh. go down that list and just circle the one thing that's going to make everything else either easier or necessary. And more times than not, that's the hardest thing. This is the thing you've been avoiding. There's a reason why it hasn't been done. If it was easy, it would already be done. But circle that one thing. Some people call it eating the frog. There's different ways to call it. But it's really circle that one thing and bring that over. Keep your to-do list, obviously. This is kind of an exercise to just remind you that, hey, it's about focusing on that big thing, not all the busy ones. Um, That being said, this helps me a lot. So I start to make a to-do list. It gets super long. And I know for a fact if someone were to hand me two extra hours a day, I'm not going to get through everything that's on that list. 
So a lot of people try to hack the system by getting up early. You can do that occasionally, but long t- a lot of times you get less done. The research shows you get less done because you're tired. So you get up two hours early, but you actually get less done. It's the exact opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. So, so that's a good hack. Another hack is when I told you two hours, if I gave us 48 hours, we still wouldn't get everything done. Mm-hmm. So again, it's really about not time management, but more energy management. Look at that list and then asking yourself, which of the items on here are really going to matter five years from now? When you do that, it helps reduce the stress as well. What's going to matter five years, 10 years from now? And that helps you reduce the list or at least helps you organize it a little better. So, and no, you're not alone. Everyone we interviewed, everyone had too much to do. Every Mm -hmm. single person couldn't get to everything. And so just again, try to look at what's going to matter five years down the road, 10 years down the road. That helps you order the list. And then also two, try to make a not to do list. Again, you can start with writing not on the top of yours, but also a not to do list means I'm not going to answer my email before 10 o'clock or I'm not going to do, I'm not going to check social media more than 15 minutes. I'm going to set that on my phone so that it has that alert that says we're shutting your phone down in the focus part of an iPhone app. You can actually set it so that it's, Hey, I'm only allowed 15 minutes on Instagram or 15 minutes on Facebook or TikTok or whatever it is. And so that's also very helpful. And I love those, especially the one with the social media, because it seems like I can blink and an hour went by. I'm like, how did I lose an hour? I don't get it. Uh, So for everybody out there, the book is The Focus Project, The Not-So-Simple Art of Doing Less. And our guest is, strike a pose, equal man. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So for everybody out there, stay with us. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to or watching Answers Network. Founded over 30 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, Westfield has continually focused on resolving issues that negatively impact families and businesses. Our signature therapeutic transportation service helps to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely transported to specialized schools, programs, and treatment centers with unsurpassed experience and success. We are supported by our full-service licensed investigation agency that has legally, professionally, and compassionately located hundreds of runaways and teens. We are experienced and qualified to help, offering solutions which may include referrals to our international network of top professionals in the field of educational consulting, psychology, psychiatry, and investigations. Simply put, Westfield Adolescent Services and Westfield Investigations are the best solutions when your family is facing a personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's 1-800-899-8585, or visit our website at westfield.com. Thank you. And we're back. Our guest is Eric Qualman. And uh, Eric, one of the things that are a term that at least comes from uh, from my time is I feel like I'm stuck on the treadmill or, um, you know, I'm stuck in the rat race and I'm on the wheel and I just keep going and going and going. And I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. Um, share a little bit about how people can get off of that. And uh, and I'd love a if there's a particular success story that you have of somebody that you've worked with or that you know of 
that has uh, used one of your methods and gotten off and, and how it's affected their overall life? Yeah, so a couple of people have really used this system and I use it myself. And again, I, it's going to be comical when I say I don't do this every day because what I'm going to say takes 30 seconds, 60 seconds. So I get mad at myself. I go, what the heck? I mean, it only takes a minute to do what I'm about to tell you. Uh, but for a lot of people, it, it, it's game changing. So you're on the wheel and you're, you got to do some self-awareness. You got to figure out why you're on the wheel or what's causing you the anxiety. What in your life would you want to cut out if you could? And again, we can think about it. It's, we live, most of the people listening here live in America. So we have the freedom to do what we want. Um, obviously there's financial pieces that we have to consider, like, and you have to do your taxes, stuff like that. But we also have to pause and remember, wait, wait, okay, I'm in control here. If I'm a lion, am I chasing chipmunks, which will be fun, and I can get chipmunks all day, but long-term, I'm going to starve to death, where I should be chasing after that antelope, that elk, and so mm-hmm. making sure we're not chasing after all those chipmunks. So what you can do at the end of the day is write down systematically, and you can do this on a Google Sheet, you can do this in Excel. If you want to use paper and pencil, it doesn't matter. I like to use a digital means because then I can track it better over time. And so for me, I use a free tool, Google Sheets. And so I have a column. On the left column is just the date. And then the next column is a a column just for a number, and I'll go over that in a second. And then the third column is just comments, commentary. So first column is date. Second column, I'm going to put in there plus one, plus two, plus three, minus one, minus two, minus three. Was the day a plus one? Was it a pretty good day? Plus one. Was it a great day? Plus two. Incredible, amazing day. My brother had his third kid, whatever it is, plus three. Then negative one. Hey, wasn't my best day. Negative two, pretty bad day. Negative three, terrible day. Maybe someone passed away. But it's really about writing that down each and every day. So plus one, it's never neutral, never zero. You didn't hear me say zero. So plus one, plus two, plus three, minus one, minus two, minus three. Then on the right is a qualitative piece. What made it so? So, and hopefully in time, you've got a lot of pluses, but what made it such a great day? And you're going to start to see a pattern or what made it a negative day? And if you do this long enough, you're going to start to see patterns. Oh, this is what's causing a negative day. I feel out of control with my time. Why am I feel out of control with my time? Because my calendar is completely scheduled. Or I'm saying yes to too many things. And we can unpack that in a second, how to say no better when you're a people pleaser. So write that down. Now, what I've taken and what I've started to learn over time as well is that I try to write down the night before why the day will be a plus three. So I always the night before write, it's going to be a plus three tomorrow. So... I'm not, an, I'm not a glass half full guy. I'm a glass 100% full, right? It's 50% water, 50% oxygen. So, Because the other side of that doesn't do you any good being a pessimist. So it's really, right. it's about looking at it from the night before I write down plus three and I write down why it's going to be a plus three. Oh, I'm going to coach my girls in basketball and we're going to win the game or whatever right. it might be. Or they're going to improve, not win the game. They're going to play like champions and play better than they did the week before. And I'm going to write, for a half hour. So I'm setting myself intentional what I'm going to do, but also I'm putting in the, Hey, it's going to be a plus three because X, Y, Z. I like it. Um, one of the other things you mentioned, which was, which was email. Um, we talked a little bit about the social media and, and setting a timer and stuff. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, why it's so difficult. And, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody of getting ahead of, of you know, the email and the tasks um, and to kind of find a way to, to get rid of the distractions mm-hmm. or at least, you know, push them aside long enough to be able to get things done. And, and it feels like it just gets worse. I was, uh, I was around a group of people recently and one of them was talking about their email and they said, oh, you know what? My email is so out of control, uh, you know, that, you know, I've got, you know, 5,000 unread emails Mm -hmm. and somebody else goes, well, that's nothing. I've got (laughs) 20,000 unread emails. Um, You know, how do they get or how do we, any of us, get ahead of that? So a couple of things. First of all, is you should batch process your email. So you should set up two, preferably this works for most, is set up two times during the day to batch process the email. So here's the half hour I'm going to batch process my email in the morning. Here's the half hour I'm going to batch process it in the afternoon. I know some of your listeners are laughing and go, an hour, I need like five hours. But that's intentional. So you've got to get pretty good at not answering all the email. Because think about the person at the top of your organization, these people, we've interviewed them, they have 50,000 employees. They're not better at focus inherently than all of us. They've just set up systems and processes in place to deal with it better. And so part of that system is, first of all, and also those folks, what do they do? You probably get like a one-word response from them or a Mm -hmm. one-sentence response. So first and foremost, try to set up, try to batch process it. For a lot of you, that'll help a lot so that you're only checking it and batch processing at certain times during the day. And don't do it first thing in the morning because that's when you want to use your brain, what we talked about earlier in the show. So set it up, maybe it's 10 o'clock in the morning, maybe it's two o'clock in the afternoon. So batch process your email. When the email comes in, the first question you should ask is, does this merit a response from me? Do I need to respond? A lot of times the answer is no. And if, if you feel bad about that, you can say, I'm not the person to answer this, please talk to blah, 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 whoever that might be. So putting in, putting in copy and paste type answers is very helpful for emails. And then also try to treat it like a tennis match. So you want to end the point. So you want to send a succinct, no one likes to read long emails. So right. try to make them shorter. No one likes to receive long emails. You don't, no one does. And so try to make it short and to the point, but also in the point. So if you're putting the ball back, try to finish, complete the point, just like in a tennis match. So try to finish that. So those are some helpful items. Now, the reason we're somewhat addicted to emails, if we see 100 emails and I get it down to zero, we get that dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. That's why we like doing that because it feels like we're being productive, but we're not a lot of times. Just because you're doing something doesn't mean you're being productive. And so that can be false productivity. So the key is to attack that one thing versus those emails. Also, a lot of people make the mistake of last in, first out, LIFO on emails, uh, when really you should be organizing the emails in terms of importance. And so you're not answering them in a timeline manner. You're actually addressing the ones from your bosses, from partners, from clients, from a spouse first, and then working your way through the others, and knowing that you might not get to all of the email, and that's okay. And also start to set up kind of processes on how people should reach out to you as much as you can. Hey, if you really need something important, come down to my office or just call me. 
Um, so we've seen some organizations start to systematically, because they identify all, all organizations that identify that sometimes emails can get bad. And email is a great tool. It's just used improperly. And so they'll go, hey, here it is. If it's like this, then it should be you walk down to the office first if we're in person. If it's remote, it's a call. If it's this, then it's, then it's, then it's an email. Yeah, when you mentioned the call, it, you touched on kind of one of my own uh, personal pet peeves, but it's with texting. And, you know, I'm a little older than most, so I come from a world of picking up the phone and using it to actually call somebody. The, the text messages that are like 200 words drive me crazy. And it's like I, I, I want to just answer going, please pick up your phone and call because yeah. you know, I, I don't know that I need to read all of this. Um, is there any suggestion from the standpoint on, on how we can limit those things? Yeah. I mean, with the younger generation, especially give them some grace, especially the generation that kind of was growing up during COVID. So they're just used to texting is they might not even understand that it's actually easier to have that phone call rather than typing with their thumbs, even though they're fast on it. It's just, it's long, it's crazy. So a good, a good text to say, Hey, will this be, easier for both of us or quicker quicker is a good word would be quicker for both of us just to have a call right now you do want to ask that especially to the younger generation because if you just pick up the phone and call them like what this is why i'm texting you why are you calling me is that you got to ask them and but you phrase it as hey would this be quicker for us to resolve on the phone and more times than not that answer will be yes and then they'll start to get in the habit of wow that was a lot easier just to resolve it on the phone than texting i like that uh um, and you can I, walk we, and talk. That's the thing we talk about in the focus book is that to help your focus is the beautiful thing about this technology is that you take advantage of it. That if you are working remote, if you're not taking advantages of working remote, then it's just a, a nightmare scenario. You're not getting the benefits of being in the office with people and having that camaraderie. You're just doing the stuff that's not very fun to do at home. You're just in front of a screen all the time. And so when you can, most people want to walk and talk. So, hey, can we make this meeting a walk and talk rather than a Zoom meeting? Can we make it a walk and talk? And then you're both, oh, that's a dog barking. Got it. I know you're in the woods. I'm in the woods. We're, we're seeing green. It helps our focus. Yeah. So just by seeing the color green, it actually helps your focus. Being in nature helps your focus. So take advantage of those opportunities when you can and do that walk and talk. See, and the whole idea of green. So that must have been something for the glasses also. <laughs> but but that makes perfect sense because it's also something that's very healthy for us to do as well. So I love that. Um, we've got another question that has come in. Um, this one reads, um, there are a few daily practices I do, such as uh, Qigong and structured breathing, Uh, that have helped me to regain my clarity and calm. Unfortunately, my workaholic husband masks his stress, uh, preferring a couple of drinks before bed. I'm very worried about him, his memory, and his ability to focus. Can you share any ideas or methods uh, from your book that might help me help him? And this says, thanks so much from Nina in California. Yeah, Nina, that's a great question. I need to do more of this. I need to do more breathing, more yoga, because when I'm researching the book, the one way to grow gray matter in your brain, which helps with memory, is to meditate. But Mm -hmm. most of us that are already thinking, I've got this long to-do list, I can't meditate. I can't afford time to meditate. Uh, But when you meditate, it allows you to calm. It reduces the stress. 
It also helps grow that gray matter. So it actually, it's counterintuitive, but it actually makes you more productive long-term as you start to breathe. And also the folks that do yoga and meditation are better at doing what I'm going to describe in a second is throughout the day, you should have pauses, basically pause and breathe and ask yourself, what am I doing right now? And what should I be doing? Sometimes it is the thing you're doing, but more times than not, you'll catch yourself like, what am I doing right now? Oh, I'm scrolling through TikTok. What, what should I be doing? Oh, I want to be a published author. Why aren't I writing a sentence for the book? Why am I pushing that out? Why am I not attacking the thing I should be attacking? So again, Nina, keep doing what you're doing. But in the book, yeah, it'll go in and hopefully it helps your husband realize, hey, this is, I think this is working for me. But actually alcohol, people think it helps you sleep. It's actually the opposite. It doesn't help you mm-hmm. sleep. Uh, when you have drinks, that's a big misnomer. Um, multitasking is another big, big misnomer that it doesn't make you more productive. It makes you less productive. We can unpack. And in fact, let's go into that second. So yeah. if you're multitasking, your IQ can drop up to 15 points. And my dad's always quick to say, son, you can't afford to lose those 15 points. That's a lot for you. So make sure you don't multitask. But what you're doing is you're switch tasking. You're not multitasking. Your brain's trying to figure out what's more important, A or B, A or B. And in that moment of switching, that loss of efficiency is it's the equivalent of not sleeping for 36 hours. Or teams, your productivity can drop up to 40%. So one of the easiest ways to actually increase our productivity and have better health benefits as well is to single task, single task, single task. Easier said than done. Literally every day, I've now known this for 12 years, I catch myself multitasking. But because you have that breath, Nina, and pause and go, wait, 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 why am I multitasking? I got a single task. I'll get more done. I'll be happier and healthier. So a lot of our listeners out there, we're recovering multitaskers. So just stick with it. Every day is not going to be perfect, but more days than not, try to be on the better side of that where you're like, I'm going to single task because that means I'm going to get more done and be happier and healthier. And I, I love that. And I love what you said in regards to meditation, because that was one of the things that I used to uh, to deal with some of my issues with multitasking. And again, I was raised in that area of, you know, if you can multitask, you should wear it as a badge of honor, you know, that, well, you know, I'm so smart, I can do all of these things. And I realized that uh, I was doing many things, just not all that well. Uh, but uh, in fact, I use one and I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but it's called Balance. And uh, it has helped me greatly. And along with what you were saying earlier, one is is to use it at night that kind of helps me get a lot of the other things that have been uh, weighing on me out, just clear myself so that I can get better sleep. But then the first thing in the morning, I get up and I go through through some of my own mantras, but I also go through some of the ones that that are part of that balance website and they call it foundations but they can take you in a particular direction that uh, I have found very beneficial uh, and it's another one of those things I wish I knew 40 years ago no that's really really good insight and when you think about it another thing that I learned over the last couple of years is that I've got this vision that when I'm going to meditate okay I'm rolling out the nice mat I've got the waterfall in the background, I've got the music going on, but come on, that's not practical. So that happens when it can, but more times than not, you got the kids running around. 
everything's happening. So anything's better than nothing. So honestly, I find myself meditating the most on airplanes. That sounds crazy because it's loud, but it's really just, all right, I'm sitting here. I'm just going to pause. I'm going to breathe. And then my mind's going to be going a million miles an hour. It's tough for me to get in that state, but the more people I talk to, it's the same that it's natural for those things to pop in your head and go, Oh, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about, Oh, I got to write that speech for the stage tomorrow. Oh no. Okay. I'm not supposed to be thinking about that. All right. Then, then you get like 10 seconds of kind of that Zen time. Then something else pops in your head. It took me a while to realize that's just natural. And then in time you do get better at it, but the one, it could be meditate just when the buses you're waiting for the train or the bus. So just try to find those short moments that you don't have to, the reason most of us don't meditate or especially speaking for myself is I always used to think, oh, no, I've got to have that hour of complete peace and quiet, and I've got those candles lit. But that's not really practical. When I can do that, obviously I do, but just have to give yourself some grace. That's the number one thing when it comes to all this stuff is uh, give yourself some grace. I think one of the, the meditation points that helped me when you just talked about the idea of we get another thought you know, and, you know, oh, that's right, I'm flying here to do this, or I'm flying here to do that. And part of the meditation that I've, that I've been doing has been saying, when that happens, just say to yourself, thank you, and reel yourself back in. In other words, it, uh, before I would get frustrated with meditation, because I'd go, well, this isn't working, because I'm still worried about, you know, what happened with the kids, or, or what I was doing at work, or a big contract, or something. And it allowed me to just go, thank you, and where was I, and bring it back. And I think that was one of the most helpful things for me. And like you said, acknowledging that that even if I only have 10 minutes, um, I can do quite a bit in 10 minutes. Yeah, no, I love your thought there. Like, thank you. Uh, I was with the, the founder of Headspace, and he goes, he, his approach is more like, hello, stranger. Thanks for joining, but I'll see you in a little bit. And then like, let them pass through like they're crossing the street. So you're on your car and that's just someone that's just crossed the street. All right, they've crossed the street. They've cleared. Now we're going to keep driving. Well, um, Eric, I got to tell you, um, speaking of time, I wish we had like another hour. I absolutely love this. Uh, I'm enjoying the book. And for everybody out there, if you get the opportunity, I can't think of anybody uh, that I know that doesn't want to be able to have more quality time. And that's what I see this book doing. And it's the one thing that we can't replace, we can't buy, is more quality time. And that's the vision that I get when reading this book. So again, it's called The Focus Project, The Not-So-Simple Art of Doing Less. Um, and I assume that you can get it at any any bookstore and so on, or um, which probably I'll share the website. The website is equalman.com. So just when you think when you when you think about the green glasses and you think about a superhero, think about equalman.com, and you can not only go there to get the book, but there's all kinds of other information uh, that can be very helpful. Um, Eric. Share with me uh, kind of if there's anything else. One more thing to share. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'll keep this. I'll keep this tight. But uh, again, progress over perfection. Uh, life's a roller coaster, so it's going to go up and down day to day. But as long as you're having more good days than bad at focus, then you're going to get better at this thing, and that line continues to go up. And what the number one thing that the top thought leaders 
successful people all share is they're pretty good at focusing, not because they're inherently better at it or have DNA, is because they essentially say no to almost everything. And that allows them to say yes to the big opportunities. And so get systems in place to say no. Most of us are people pleasers. It's tough for me to say no, but I've practiced this enough to where it's been a huge benefit to me to where you can have a copy and paste email. Hey, this sounds like a great opportunity. I apologize, but I have to turn it down because I'm heads down on writing my next book. So whatever it might be for you, if it's not a hell yes, it should be a hell no. So again, if it's not a hell yes that you're super excited about it, it should be a hell no because you think you have this unlimited inventory of yeses that come up in time down the road. But guess what? It's not going to get any better when that thing approaches. That You said lukewarmly, yeah, I should probably do that. If it's not a hell yes, it should be a hell no. And if you take anything away, that's the power of saying no. I love it. Um, in fact, if, if, there was, if there was any one thing that I needed to take away from the book, it is that point right there. So I thank you so much, Eric. And again, for everybody out there, uh, you can go to the website is equalman.com. The book is The Focus Project, The Not-So-Simple Art of Doing Less. Eric, thank you so much, not just for coming on the show, but for putting something out there that makes a positive difference in everybody's world that takes the opportunity to read it. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate it. I appreciate all you listeners out there. And remember that kind is cool. I like that too. All right. And for everybody out there, be with us next week because we're going to be joined by the author, Jim White, as he shares his new book, How to Be the Parent Your Teenagers Need You to Be without all the fighting, frustration, or fear of doing it wrong. And visit our archives of past interviews at answers.network and subscribe to the show either through Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Rumble, Spreaker, and so many more. Uh, If there's a favorite platform that you like, if they don't have our show, ask for it. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review. It helps us reach more people, and I want you to know I greatly appreciate it. The next time you're on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, please stop by our page, check out some of our latest posts, and if you like them, please like us and spread the word. For everybody, be good human beings, and be with us again next week on Answers Network. So thanks again for listening to today's Super You podcast. Again, it's a podcast designed to unlock and unleash your inner superpower. And if you want to pay it forward, make sure you go post a review for the Super You podcast because what that will do, it'll allow others that aren't familiar with our podcast to discover it. And hopefully that allows them to unlock and unleash their inner superpower. So that's it for today's show. I'm your host, Equal Man, reminding all of us it's not what we take from the world, it is what we leave behind. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 super you. Uh.